Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Dr. Heidi with my mom, Dr. Gloria, and we're talking about dealing with loss and survival, and our second guest is Michelle Longo-Etter. Michelle Longo-Etter began a journal to record what daily life was like for her while her husband and sons were out commercial fishing. Personal tragedy struck in 2001 with the death of her son, Ben. Her book, Salt in Our Blood, The Memoir of a Fisherman's Wife, is an offer of healing to her family, her community, and to fishing families everywhere. Welcome to the show, Michelle, and welcome back, Gloria. Thanks. Thank well, you. Michelle, it's great to have you on the show today. And one of the things I, I picked up from your book, by the way, your book is so interesting, Salt in Our Blood, A Memoir of a Fisherman's Wife, because I don't think most of us really know what the fishing world and, and life is like at all. I didn't know at all. And I live in California, and I eat Dungeness crab, and I really never think about where they come from. And the fishing life, I didn't realize that it was such a fraternal life for men and and uh, such, uh, like you say, you call it right, salt in their blood. So uh, the book's very interesting, and, and it's interesting that you started this as a journal What uh, before your uh, son was killed, right? That's right. In um, December 2000, I realized that uh, we had a unique culture as fishermen's lives. Um, there's a lot you hear about commercial fishing these days, but recognizing that as fishing families we really did have a different kind of culture and what was going on behind it while our husbands and sons were at sea. And so I started a journal um, to tell about it, um, what our daily life was Because you weren't was. from there, so it must have been kind of fascinating for you. I mean, you came from upstate New York, right? Absolutely, and I went out to uh, the West Coast uh, to go to law school and then immediately moved down to the coast and uh, have lived on the ocean for the last uh, 30-some-odd years. And this so. is Oregon, right? Right, and in Newport, Oregon. And I just kept a journal of uh, the different things that I would do for our commercial fishing business. Uh, I'd cook for the boats. I'd run errands. and uh, Plus your law practice. Plus my law practice and uh, fit it in all, all between and uh, took care of the, the business and the books and the payroll and things like that. And really recognize that the women who were part of this industry, you know, we had our own own story to tell. And as I worked, I had intended to um, end the book after a year. Um, and then uh, just when we got to December 2001, and it was the beginning of another crab season, uh, we had two boats at the time, uh, the fishing vessel Michelle Ann and the fishing vessel Nasika. And uh, our oldest son, Ben, was just home from college, and both our sons had always uh, fished with uh, my husband, and uh, Ben was on our fishing vessel, Masika, and went out on the first day of crab season with three of our other crew members, and the vessel capsized. Um, Which, actually, for us who don't, aren't even boating people, means it. It turned over, mm-hmm. and um, the cause of the accident was never actually determined by the Coast Guard. They determined it was a combination of potential factors, weather, a squall, um, and the... And I think I read that sometimes the crab uh, 
baskets when you throw when they throw them off. Right, but when they the crab pot, the boat a little. That's right. They can change affect stability of the vessel. You've got crab pots piled on the deck of the boat, and as you're laying them into the ocean, um, sometimes it can cause a change in stability, and that is what we you know suspect combined with weather you know caused the accident and. What happened was uh, the vessel capsized, and ironically, um, it was right out in front of our oceanfront home where the accident happened. And Ben, uh, in addition to our son Ben's death, who was 21 at the time, we also, three other crewmen died, uh, Rob Thompson and Jared Hamrick and Steve Langlot. So we sustained... You know, experienced not only the death of our own son, but uh, the death of three other people who were, you know, part of our fishing family, to speak. Mm-hmm. So it was um, ex- extraordinarily traumatic um, mm-hmm. when it happened. You know, and, and there's another story here in my mind, also reading your book, is that you married your husband, um, Bob. He had two boys. They're not your biological children, right? That's right. I think there's such a story here because for anybody out there who has adopted kids or who is a step-parent, reading your story is just as compelling as if they were your biological children and reading your response to it and all that kind of thing because I think sometimes people have some kind of an idea and Heidi said it because she has an adopted daughter when I was telling her the thought about it that these kids are just as important to you as a biological child, and the reactions are, you know, very similar. Thank you for making that point, too, because it was um, these um, boys, Ben and Dylan had no contact with their biological mother, and Mm -hmm. so I was mom. Well, I loved it. I loved when you were dating um, Bob, and when Ben, and Ben is the one that died, said to you, can I call you mom? That's mm-hmm. right, and I said, "Well, honey, let's, let's wait until your dad and I get married." And he said, "Okay." And so this was this was a little boy who was desperate, you know, for mm-hmm. a mom. He was he was ready. He and Dylan and um, Ben and Dylan were very very close. Uh, and they were uh, seven and five, right? Right. And Bob was just an extraordinary father. So I had this ready made um, family of of really beautiful people, and I I think it's. Thank you for mentioning it, as I said, because I think sometimes people do think that if you are a um, not the biological parent, that somehow the loss is greater for the biological parent. And I ran into some of that, um, and and it was um, that was a little tough to deal with sometimes. So I just said, well, people just don't understand what it's like to raise children. Um, biological or not. And and they don't realize that we don't have to be genetically linked to someone to love them with our hearts and souls. I mean, we love our spouses that way. Um, Because I have a biological child and an adopted child, and people assume sometimes, like you're saying, that my love for my biological child must be deeper when that, in fact, is not my experience. Thank you. Yeah, that's absolutely right. um, Ben and Dylan have always been my children, and Mm -hmm. they always will be. And what I love uh, to further uh, punctuate that is reading what the, the notes that Ben sends you <laughs> and that are in your book. They, um, they're fabulous. They're, it was wonderful. He was, in the first six months of the book, um, he was traveling in South America and would send me emails, um, Mother's Day notes, and just 
questions he had of me as he was growing up and exploring things. And he was tremendously adventurous and curious, and um, his motto was learn, learn, learn. And that's uh, how he lived his life. And the, you can, I think you can see the closeness uh, uh, between us in those communications, and as well as the fact we, as all parents and children do, you know, have conflict too, and that's that was a, a natural um, uh, a part of life uh, growing up with uh, as the you know boys grew up into teenagers and young adults. Yeah, it, it's really lovely, and I would recommend to everyone that they get salt in their blood because it's so interesting about fishing as well as a, a wonderful, compelling human story. Could you talk a little bit about um, how, do, how do you deal with these high-risk uh, occupations? And I guess Bob went right out, that's his life, went up right out fishing again, right? Well, Bob actually waited a couple of months before he went back out. Um, Dylan, um, the accident happened December eleventh, two 2001, and um, the night of Christmas night, um, two weeks later, I remember Bob and Dylan came into the house and Dylan looked at me and he was um, 19 at the time and he looked at me and he said, I'm going out fishing um, tonight on a crab trip. And I just, my eyeballs, and I just, you know, shook and then recognized that it was really important for Dylan. This is what he needed to do um, to begin to deal with it. And also, I think he just wanted to be away from everything that was going on at the house. Also, and so he went back out fishing two weeks after the accident. And that was... I would think also there's a certain connection with his... There would be a certain connection with his brother when he was out at sea. Absolutely. That he was um, with Ben when he was out there. And uh, when he went out there on that trip that they laid a wreath at sea and Dylan wrote a letter to his brother and uh, laid laid it... Uh, with the wreath in the sea, and that was how uh, he said goodbye. What a wonderful ritual, especially now you didn't have a body. Have they ever found his body? No. The um, only, um, I'm hesitating here because it's, it's a little bit hard to describe. The Ben's body was never found or any of the... Um, uh, either Jared's or Rob Thompson's, but there were uh, there were pieces of a torso that washed up on the beach about a month later, and um, by DNA identification, they were able to identify that it was um, Steve Langlot. But the rest of uh, neither Ben or the rest of our crew members, um, their bodies were uh, never found. That's and kind of like the 9-11, right, Heidi? You've dealt it, with that a it lot. It does remind me there's so many parallels because I've been working with firefighters, that firefighter families where the firefighter father died for the last seven years. Um, and, you know, these families often have other, they often have children that are also firefighters. And when their fathers died, they went back out and did what they love, what, they, what gave them passion and meaning. And their thought is, you know, even though it's a high-risk job, they absolutely love what they're doing, and they would—they want to—they're committed to it, and it's part of a culture and part of a family. That's exactly right. Me. And and Bob then did return to fishing uh, um, in uh, 2002 after a couple of months. And um, how was it for him to go out the first time? I think I'm sure it was very difficult. There were you know some things that um, uh, we didn't 
um, talk a lot about at that time, but I knew he needed to go back out, and when he was ready, uh, he went. Um, you know, I thought uh, about that. What a community out there. It's those are the people that know, because in your book you say that 25 men have died since 1992 uh, there in accidents. It's... Um, the, the fishing community and our community at large is just extremely um, supportive, and that's what really got us through, you know, the first couple of months, and and also all these years, because people understand, um, as you know, as Heidi would say, just like in the in the firefighting um, community, um, that people go back to that where they find the most peace and what is part of you know who they are, and it is part of who. Bob is to go back out on the ocean and to um, to do what he loves to do, and I'm glad that you know he has done that. Um, and you know, I, I think that for everybody out there, it is scary. I mean, it is scary. My son was killed in an automobile accident. It was scary for me to have my daughters in a car. That's right. You know, um, it, it is a scary thing that you do have to kind of give up and let go. And where it's a whole occupation, it's it's got to be you know. You really have to take a big breath. Well, one of the things that um, I've done is when you look at the national statistics, commercial fishing is the number one um, most dangerous occupation in terms of lives lost each year. And the Oregon Dungeness crab fishery has been identified by the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health as being um, the most dangerous between a, a period of time um, the years um, slipped my mind, but over a, a six-year period, um, six period of time, there were the most fatalities in, in that fishery. And so part of my healing has been to address that issue with the Oregon Fish and Wildlife Commission and to ask them to require that every vessel have a voluntary safety inspection by the Coast Guard before it is allowed to go out crabbing each season. And um, I have the support in doing this from not only the uh, 13th District of the U.S. Coast Guard, which covers Washington, Oregon, and California. Uh, the Admiral has written to the Oregon Fish and Wildlife Commission supporting this. But I also now serve on the National Fishing Vessel um, Safety Advisory Committee. Um, and they have also written a letter in support um, to require voluntary vessel safety inspections before a vessel goes to sea to go crabbing. And I, that's one of the ways that I have taken what has happened and, um, rec you know, seen that there's a difference that I can, I can make. Felt that, I felt at a loss in terms of what I could do or, or how I could do more was in terms of, you know, sibling loss. I mean, losing a brother with whom um, Dylan was extraordinarily close. And, yeah, I'm careful not to, you know, try not to violate Dylan's privacy, but it's, um, whether it's Dylan or any other um, person like yourself or any other um, child or an adult who has lost a brother or sister that, it doesn't get as much attention, and I I think the work that you do is huge to bring attention to it, and and I, you know I will learn a great deal more when I'm there. Yeah, well I appreciate that. In fact, I just did a YouTube video on this very topic. It's on sibling loss, and it's on the fact that we often, as brief siblings, feel unacknowledged and invalidated, and just that acknowledgement is often all we really need. 
I remember I was so grateful when when Ben died for all of the people who individually wrote cards to Dylan. Mm -hmm. They weren't to, it it wasn't just addressed to Bob and myself and Dylan um, that they wrote separate notes to Dylan acknowledging that his, his loss, his grief, how he was feeling was his own and, and didn't, you know, wasn't a, wasn't a group loss, and I, I was always grateful and for the sensitivity of people who understood that. Well, that is a caring community because that says something about the fishing community because we don't hear that often, do we, Heidi? Absolutely not. I had one condolence card. Yeah, My parents have thousands. So, yes, and it means so much to us as siblings that we get our own personal cards. That's right. Like you said. Now, talk about the website for Ben. Mm-hmm. The website is www.benedder.org, O-R-G. And it was a website that uh, Ben's friend from Reed College, Andy Rumbach, I have to, I think of him so fondly, um, started. And I gave photos and posted on there photos of our family and Ben growing up through different stages and our family as well as some of Ben's writings from when he was a child and high school and college and um, memories that people have written um, about. Um, when, when Ben died and people asked what could they do, what I said to them is please write down a memory. I, I don't need another casserole. What, if you can write down a moment, a day, um, anything that you remember that you and Ben interacted with. And that's what they did. And those were... The greatest gifts that I received. And by the way, it's never too late to do that. I say to people, if it's been 15 years and you want to get those memories, send it out to your friends and say, you know, it's a 15-year anniversary and I'm just putting a little something together. If you could write a memory, it would be great. Absolutely. And 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 after 26 years, I just got a memory on Facebook from someone about Scott. Yes. And I really appreciated it. And that I still receive memories about Ben. There's a guest book on his website and um, I still get emails there. I still run into people that um, tell us, you know, a special story that we haven't heard before. And anything about um, our our son is anything is special to us. You know, that's so. great. Well, tell people how they can get your book. It's um, available on www.saltinourblood.com, and it's also available. Uh, on Amazon, and if you check with your independent bookseller and you want to support your local independent bookstore, you can go in and ask for it, and they can order it for you if it's not already available, and um, it'll be there in a day or two. All right. And do you have one parting thought you want to leave uh, our audience with, Michelle? I think that sometimes a parent's greatest fear is for me anyways, I can only speak for myself, is that their child will be forgotten. And even though I know that he won't be, that he lives on in so many uh, lives, his spirit and thoughts, he touched so many people in his life, I still have that feeling. And so um, I continue to bring him up and talk about them comfortably and naturally and ask people for um, their remembrances and, and, and be comfortable and to not be shy about that because there is a never-ending hunger um, for it. And to also spread Ben's message. Ben had, in his life, he, there were 
certain things that were so important to him, and one of them was learn, learn, learn. And he just had this voracious appetite. And so what my husband and I and Dylan, uh, too, have all tried to do is to continue um, his message in life to people, uh, is to recognize that and, and live that way as well. And so I think that that's a way that we honor him. And so to find that, that special way that will be unique to everyone. Um, um, find the uniqueness to your child. That's great. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Michelle. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.